on the average, my technicians, you know, they were doing on a 40 hour work week, they were doing 55, 60 hours plus a week. So they were, you know, 125 to 150% efficient. Welcome to Diesel Stories, where we sit down with professionals across the industry to hear about their journey. I'm Jacob Finlay, along with Chris O'Brien. Today, we're talking with David Celine, former shop owner and vice president of sales at Drive. All right, David, thank you for joining. Great to have you. Yes, it's a pleasure to be here. Now, we met a few years ago when uh, your company was still called Management Success. It's since been renamed Drive, but we kind of go back a few years at least. And you uh, work for Drive, but you're also, you're actually not based in California. You're based in New Mexico, right? Well, I do. The drive the company itself is based in California. With the pandemic, I have a home and everything in New Mexico. So I've been working remote from my home in New Mexico right now. Um, you know, I started off as a shop. I own two truck repair shops and then um, had how drive helped me get my shops where they're fully operational and then come to a point where about a year ago I was offered a price for my shops and I uh, couldn't turn down. So I sold out the businesses and then continue to work for drive full time. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, that's definitely inspirational to any shop owner that's listening. Maybe we could back up and talk about how you got into the industry. First of all, were you born in New Mexico? Is that where you grew up or where were you from? Yeah, I'm a third generation um, from in, from New Mexico, um, born and raised here in New Mexico in a small farming community um, outside of Albuquerque, about 60 miles outside of Albuquerque. And um, that's kind of, you know, the family's been here. We had some farmland, um, you know, you'd think that being a farmer's kid and everything, uh, you know, you work on equipment, you learn to work on tractors and everything at a young age, you're driving them, you're out doing all the farm life and everything. And my story of getting into this industry for the, the trucking industry and the, the mechanical industry and everything else is quite interesting. Cause you know, I went through school living on a farm and everything else and actually intended and started off my college career as going out to be a veterinarian. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, <laughs> so why is that because of the farm you wanted to kind of be? Yeah, uh, I, I enjoyed working with animals and, you know, and all that stuff. So I started off when got out of high school, went into uh, college, was starting off for all my stuff to become a veterinarian. And then we're sitting in class one day and they had a veterinarians, a group of veterinarians come in and start talking to the class. And I was always passionate about working on large animals. I want to work on horses and cows and stuff like that. And they come in and they're sitting there telling us, okay, look, here's what you can expect after you go all through all your schooling and everything you can get and you're going to be expecting if you're working on large animals an income of you know 40 to 60 thousand dollars a year if you're going to work on cats and dogs and you want to move to the big city you can make lots of money that way well the funny thing about it is is why i'm in college you know we're small small town small uh culture what didn't come from a, a rich family so i had to work through college and i'm working at a at a truck stop at the time and they're telling me you know, here I am early in my college career and they're telling me you're going to make 40 to $60,000 as a veterinarian. If you're going to work on the type of animals you want to work on. And I'm looking at my paycheck stub from this uh, truck stop working as a mechanic and sitting here going, this isn't adding up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, you know, it's kind of funny when you think about it. So, you know, I took a little bit of deliberation and everything. And I, you know, I enjoyed mechanics. I, I was passionate about that too. But it, I started looking at it and saying, you know, I'm going to spend eight, eight years plus in college and have this outstanding college debt for a job that's right. going to pay me what I'm making right now to right. start off with. That's interesting. That's uh, I was I was in. I have a very similar story, David. Uh, the difference, though, was uh, truck driving. So I started. Uh, I was in college, and I was going to. I was a janitor at Shamrock Foods, and somebody said, uh, "What are you planning on doing?" It was almost an identical story, but in business. I wanted to go run a company, and um, or get into management. It was that, that aspiration, and someone said, "Well." You, we, we pay you more than that. If you just go drive this semi truck right here, let us teach you how to do that. And that's how I got started. So that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny. And, and even, and kind of fast forwarding a little bit, I had my own shops and everything, but you know, it's, it takes those wake up calls for somebody to really realize something, how well this industry can provide for somebody. Oh yeah. You know, in high school level, they're teaching students, you've got to go to college, you've got to get a computer degree, or you got to get a doctorate in something if you're ever going to make a lot of money. But you don't hear a lot of people going to a college course or to a high school on career day and telling them, you know what, you can make 100000 plus as a mechanic. You can make that as a service advisor or you can make that as a shop owner. Yeah. You don't hear people doing that. And I think that's something that's lost because this is an industry you can get into without a lot of schooling, you know, you can go to trade school to get a head start on it, but there's so many people looking for technicians and looking for people to fill those positions that they'll do on the job training and grow you through their company. And it's not unskilled labor. I mean, it, it takes certain skills, but you, you basically can get paid to learn how to do it. Yeah. So it's not like we're digging ditches here, right? Like anybody with, with a healthy body can do it. You got to learn all that stuff. Um, but you don't have to get a hundred thousand dollars into student loans to, uh, to pull it off. Yeah. You know, correct. You don't have to go put it, you know, and I'm not telling there's college is good for a lot of people. And I'm not telling everybody drop out of college and go become a mechanic either. Cause it has to be something you're passionate about. And that's what I see with most people. They like working on vehicles. They have an interest for, um, you know, they, they have an interest in automotive, but at the same time, uh, not a lot of people are promoting that you can make a good living and a good career out of automotive fields. Right. Yeah, yeah totally. Okay. So you're, so you're working at a truck stop and you started working as a mechanic there. Yeah, I started working. I started as a mechanic there. Really what it was is I had had the job before I went to college. Um, and I was working there at the truck stop transferred to another location that was closer to the college. But I was just started off doing tires and oil changes. So you could basically say I was kind of the grease monkey when I first started out at 16 years old. Um, I was in an oil pit all day long, you know, truck mm -hmm. after truck. And all I was doing is draining oil and changes oil filters. But I worked worked my way up because, you know, as I, anything I do, I'm passionate about, but I wasn't going to be stuck in the oil pit forever. So I started looking and watching on stay extra hours off the clock and watch how the other mechanics are doing the other jobs, learning more about it. And before you know it, I was doing, you know, other repairs, clutches and transmissions and differentials and water pumps and all that stuff. And just kept learning more and more about it. And then in, um, 
right around 97, 98, I made the choice to, um, you know, I already decided, okay, no more, no more college. And I'm working at the truck stop doing a getting a good living out of it. And then I said, you know, it isn't going to be just a truck stop. That can't be the end of my career here. So I applied and got hired on at a dealership up in Albuquerque and started working my ways up through the dealership. Got it. And by the way, how did you, how did you get that first job at the truck stop? Were you, was that, it was that in your small farming town? Yeah, it was just a small farming town, you know, um, basically to, if, to, if anybody's interested in this, when I was growing up and everything, I grew up in a family where you had to earn everything. You didn't get, mom and dad didn't give you anything. You had to earn it. You either had to work on the farm and get it or have a job. And right. I went and got a job at the local truck stop. Actually, I got a job there at 15, but they wouldn't let me into the shop until I was 16. Mm-hmm. So when I was 15, <laughs> I was a fuel hand. So I was out there after school and on weekends and when trucks would pull up to the truck stop i'd go be the young kid that runs out there and washes the windows and pumps the fuel for the driver nice but finally got my opportunity to move into the shop and then just started working my way up through the shop and then like i said and then i got decided you know it ain't just being at a little local truck stop that's not career fulfilling for me so i wanted to go let's move to the next level let's go to the dealerships then i spent the next um you know, I'd say 13, 14 years working in the dealerships. You know, I was going through their trainings and learning everything I can learn. I worked for, during that period of time, I worked for a couple different dealerships. I worked for uh, Freightliner, Peterbilt, and then International. And I had actually become one of the well-rounded top techs in the area out there. I mean, I was on an average year, an average mechanic has works 2,080 hours. I was working flat rate. Um, I was billing about 3,800 hours a year. So, you know, I'm making good money working, you know, 40 hour weeks, but billing a lot of hours. So it was a, a good thing for me, but I got to a point where in the dealership, you know, I didn't want to just be a technician anymore. I want to do advanced into management and stuff like that. And I'd watched for several years, you know, I'd watched uh, got passed up on promotions, going to, you know, supervisor or management positions and stuff. And one day I sat down with the owner and my manager and I says, look, I want to get into management, but you guys ain't giving me a shot. And I was pretty much told you're too valuable on the floor. You produce too much for us on the floor for us to move you into a non-production position. Right. Yeah. And Classic that kind of right you were a moneymaker. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was a moneymaker. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> It's nothing bad. Uh, I own my own business. After that, I went and started my own shop. I just went out and started my own business. Uh, matter of fact, I started renting a one bay shop with, uh, you know, it didn't even have an office to it. I had a phone line sitting on a corner bench in the corner of the shop and opened up my own shop, went out and advertised, got customers in, and it just started growing. And within six months, I had three technicians and myself working in there. We were, I was working long hours and it was just like, okay, now I've created this monster. What do I do with it? But uh, David, I've read up that you're no joke. You were rated top, one of the top 30 truck technicians by the ATA in the nation. And you hold over 40 uh, different OEM certifications. Are you Googling him, him, Chris? (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I just did some research before the podcast and I'm like, David's no joke here. He he's not just a guy who uh, taught himself how to do this. You're a smart guy, and really, you got the certifications to back this career up too. 
Yeah, no, when I was working for the dealerships, any opportunity they gave me to get certified on a on any type of OEM or any product or anything, even after the dealerships when I owned my shop, I invested in myself in training. If there was a something to get certified on or training that I go to, I go to. And I want to say this was back in 2000. Uh, 10 or 11, I forget the year now, but um, I was sitting there reading Parts and People magazine, or maybe it was, it was one of the trucking Parts and People, or uh, there's a couple of the trucking publications that come through, and I'm reading this, and I'm reading this article at the desk about Supertech. And they run this with the TMC every year through the uh, American Trucking Association, right. TMC. And I'm reading this. And even in my work for the dealership at International, they had super uh, international had their top tech kind of competition. And I competed in it several times where you go compete against other techs in the international world. And, and you take tests and hands-on skills and you get to go compete and see who's the best. And I had done these, but now I'm an independent out on my own and own my own shop and I'm reading this and you know I sat there and I had the page folded over and was kind of reading it and then got busy and was going to work and everything and I'd left it on the desk there and my wife read across it and she goes she said well the story was I didn't even know about this and at the time she read through it filled out the application sent it off and entered me into the super tech competition <laughs> nice nice and then after she got the thing that you're officially in there, she says, oh, yeah, I seen that on your desk. You were reading it. You looked interested in it. So I, I just entered you into it. And I was like, she goes, I know you can do this. So it was kind of funny because I walked in and, and it was a different environment. I'm telling everybody, if you got an independent shop out there right now, um, look into this because it's an experience of a lifetime. I walk into this competition and the first part of it, you got to qualify. You got to take an ASC written test. So I go and first day do my ASC written test portion of it it's timed and everything and then they give you a test on a couple like electrical schematics and a few other things and as a pre-qualifier and then they have this big banquet night kind of thing at this uh, mm -hmm. TMC award and they announce the top 100 110 people they get to move on to the hands-on stations Right. So I'm sitting around there and, you know, it's actually, you, you kind of feel intimidated as an independent because <laughs> I walk in there as an independent and you have Swift and um, FedEx and all the dealerships and everybody. And they're all in these uh, team uniforms where they got five or 10 people from their company represented in this competition. And super I'm sitting clean there going, uniforms, probably. Yeah, they're all super new. clean. They're <laughs> right. flashy. They're all going, you know, I'm sitting there talking to one guy and he's like, yeah, my company, we... Uh, we do this runoff competition to see who gets to go to this. And our company puts up a Cadillac Denali to the winner within the company just to go to this. Jeez. I'm sitting there going, okay, what did I just enter into? <laughs> well, you like the karate kid. Yeah. Kind of like the karate kid, but it was, it's an interesting experience, but you know, so we're waiting around at that banquet and they're calling out the 110 people and about halfway through, I'm just sitting there and they call my name out. Okay. You've made it to the next uh, qualifying, come up and get your t-shirt and your packet to move to the next piece. And I didn't think much about it at that time, but I'm sitting there, I got that. And then that was in mid afternoon that they did this. So after that ends, I go down to the, to the bar there at the hotel where everybody's kind of hanging out and everything. And then people just started coming up to me and asking me, what's your story? You're not with a company. You're representing an independent. We've, you're the first one that's ever done this. We haven't right. seen this. Right. 
And so they were real fascinating. And, you know, the people at the TMC and the ATA are just great people. They like took me under their wings and like, oh, let's show you the rest of the organization. We know you got to compete tomorrow, but you'll do good on that. We want to just show you what else this has to offer. So one message I have for independent shops out there, if you're not part of the ATA or the TMC, get involved with it. There's a lot of good things and a lot of good people. And as an independent shop owner, I, I did really good. I got in the top 30 of that competition. They had 16 hands-on skills stations you had to go through. I made it into the top 30. And, you know, for a first time I'd walking in and everybody else studied for a year in advance for this. And I walked right off the street and just competed in it. So I felt that I did really good. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and by the way, TMC would love to see, the ATA and TMC would love to see more independent shops get involved. We've been involved for a few years with them and uh, we talk to them all the time. And uh, to this day, there's still very few independents that show up to that. And uh, the uh, the vast majority of the repairs that happen in the, in the industry are done by independents. So uh, we'd like to see more, um, as many as possible independents join up with TMC and get all the benefits from being a member. Yeah, I think a lot of folks just think it's the truckers, right? So what right. you just described, we've been doing for years in the trucking industry. You have trucking competitions, doubles, triples, et cetera. And um, to hear that it's in, uh, I, I wouldn't have never, you know, 10 years ago, if you asked me, I wouldn't have known that there was a technician competition like yeah. truck, truck, truck driving. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 each state now through the through the TMC or the ATA have runoff competitions to help you get there. They're, they're state level. This the one I went to is national level. This one, they're state level ones now in my in New Mexico, and they get uh, mechanics from all over the state, the dealerships to go compete against each other. And, and I will tell you, they're the independents hire some of the best techs out there. You need to help showcase your techs. Let them go compete yeah. in this because it means a lot to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's also a lot of benefits to membership of TMC in terms of best practices, meeting other shop owners, so on and so exactly. forth. Oh, yeah. Just uh, as an independent shop owner, that first meeting there, one, everybody's interested in this, how, where this independent come from and how did he get so far through the competition they want to know my story but why i'm doing that i'm sitting here and you know it's kind of funny because i'm sitting here and i'm sitting at a table and we're they're talking to me asking all these questions and the next thing i know i'm talking to the owner of old dominion freight and mm -hmm. gordon trucking they're all sitting right around the table with me and these are the owners of these companies yeah, exactly. And in return i got to ask them you know how do i get your business <laughs> you know of and, course and, you know, I'm a businessman. I'm asking them. They say, well, here's how you do it. Fill out this application. And I came back. I got back to my shop just a couple of days later after that. And believe me, everything they told me to fill out, I filled out. And you wouldn't believe the number of the amount of business I increased my business by just because I made these connections. Yeah, exactly. It's incredible what happens when you just get out there and meet other people in the industry and for the independents, a lot of the time, uh, it can feel like you're a hermit because you never really run into other independent shop owners, right? You're just kind of going to your shop every day and, and that's it. So, yeah. It's a difference totally between working in the business and working on the business. Yeah. Well, you know, that yeah, that makes a, makes a good point right there, you know, cause I, I was always working in my business there for a while. I ain't going to say that everything was always cherry in my business. I was working long hours. You know, I was making money, probably not the money I should have been, but I was making money. 
at the time, Mm -hmm. but, um, I come across drive and that was, that's kind of leads into the next part of my career is I met drive as a shop owner and get a phone call saying, Hey, how's things going in your shop? How many hours are you working? How, what, what could be better? And we had a small uh, conversation about it. Hey, David, I want to talk about that, but first of all, like, can you, can you go through what, I guess your inspiration to start a shop was, uh, you were doing really well on flat rate. You wanted to go into management. They weren't letting you because you were so productive. I guess what gave you the courage to go off on your own and get that one bay facility? And did you have a mentor? How did that, how did not, that happen? Not really a mentor. I, you know, I was self-driven and wanted to do more. I wanted to have something of my own. I, I have to say right now, I'll give credit to my wife. Um, she encouraged me to do this. Uh, she, you know, she had a job um, working for a local surveyors company out in our small town outside of Albuquerque. And she kept saying, you can do this on your own before I even started my shop. You can do, you should do this on your own. Mm -hmm. And then one day I come home from work and, you know, it's been one of those bad days at the dealership. You're a little upset. And she says enough. She goes, you need to just open your own shop. You've, you, you don't need to be working for somebody else. You need to do it for yourself. And I was like, I don't even know where to start. She goes, don't worry about it. I talked to a real estate guy. They got this building over here for lease. It's going to be (laughs) $1,500 a month. And all you got to do is move your tools in and get you some customers. That's awesome. I got to say, you know, when I was starting full bay, my wife was 110% behind me, if, if anything more in it than me. And that definitely makes a difference. So, yeah, it's, it's very true. I mean, even a similar story, like, um, my wife just moving over to full bay, right. Um, it, you know, there was some high risk and, uh, you gotta have a support structure. So it's, it's nice to recognize, uh, David, I, I just love the fact that you recognize the spouse in this, this equation where, yeah. you know, a lot of times we're the front men on something and, but it's, it's a lot of folks behind us that make us uh, as individuals successful. And right, exactly. Yeah. Well, you also look at it too. My wife's always been a great support system and everything. And the other piece to it was, is that I see this now, but she's, she's seen me from a different side. She sees me coming home from the dealerships, tired, wore out, grouchy. And it's like, I don't want to see you like this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to see you going through this day after day for the next 20 years. So she, she, you know, she jarred me a little bit, pushed me and, and kind of basically had it all set up where I couldn't have an excuse to turn it down. (laughs) Nice. Necessity is the mother of invention. Was it tough to, I guess, 1500 a month for the shop and stuff, but was it tough to get going financially at the beginning, um, it was a pretty smooth you know, sailing. It, it wasn't, I guess it was smooth sailing. Cause I, there's a funny story to this too. So I go out on my own and I've got the shop. I've paid for the first month of rent and got everything set up there, move my toolboxes in there. Now I didn't have all the shop equipment yet purchased that I needed. So I was like, well, I'll start off small. We'll take break jobs. We'll take, uh, you know, oil changes. We'll do, you know, the small work. I'd already been out in canvas, the local area, talked to a lot of the farmers I've known all my life and get, you know, got them engaged in doing business with me. And then I even talked to a local record company that I've known all my life. We've been good friends. And, um, I talked to him and says, Hey, I'm starting up my shop and everything like that. If you got somebody that you can bring in to me, I'd appreciate it. And, you know, didn't think too much on that was mainly focused on the small jobs that I was just getting in and getting started. And I've been open now, like three days, fully open, everything set up in there. Don't have all the tooling I need or anything. And here comes his wrecker pulling up to the front door of the shop. 
And he goes, hey, Dave, I got you a customer here that needs some help. And it was a 60 Series Detroit with a head gasket out on it. Now, take in mind, I've done hundreds of these jobs up in the dealership, have all the tooling for, to do it mechanically, but I didn't have a cherry picker in my shop to pick up the mm -hmm. head and take it off of the truck. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, here I am working in it. It was a bigger fleet that it was working on, so I'm trying to make the good first impression. So we get it all apart, and then we find out that the head's cracked and it needs a new cylinder head on it too. Okay, no big deal. So I'm sitting there and I'm looking at my bank account and I'm looking, okay, I have my operation funds, but there's not enough to buy all the parts to finish this job and the cherry picker and everything else to, do, to get it all in there done right. So I actually went and talked to my dad and says, you know, hey, can you help me out for uh, two days? Give me a two-day loan and Working I'll get this loans. first job done. Right. <laughs> so I went and borrowed a little bit of money, got that first job done. And then, you know, the first thing I did is went and paid my dad back, went and bought a cherry picker, and then, um, you know, bought some other shop equipments with that. And then before I know it, that record company was just bringing jobs into me right and left. And it had a lot to do with the personalized service and, you know, taking care of your customers. He's seen how well I took care of the customers and the extent that I would go to, to make sure that job got done right on the first one. And it built a level of trust that he just brought more to me. Nice. That's awesome. And a lot of people don't think about that. Uh, just two days worth of working capital is all you needed to make it work. And uh, I think a lot of times shop owners don't think about how just because there's money in the bank doesn't mean you should go, you know, blow it on a boat or something like that. You got to be methodical about it because you might need that to buy parts next week. And maybe you're at your credit limit at Napa or whatever, right? Yeah. At that point in time, you know, I wasn't set up. I didn't have credit accounts because I'm, I'm a brand new business. They don't know who I am, what I'm capable of doing. And they're not going to say like, here's you an open book credit right, right now. Exactly. So it's, you have to build that, but you know, one of the things that we did and, and you know, this kind of goes a little bit more to the thing, but you know, so I was in business for about a year, got a few employees working underneath because I actually got so busy. I couldn't keep up with the work. I was working 24 seven and couldn't keep up with the work coming into the shop had to hire employees to help out and stuff. And at that point in time, there were, I would call them not so much employees. They were helpers because they would help me throughout the day, but at five o'clock they would go home and I'd still be there until 10 o'clock at night finishing up so I could get the customer back on the road and get them going. Right. And then that kind of leads to my back to my wife again. So she was still working her full-time job. I was working at the shop. She come help in the afternoons when she got off work. And I got a phone call from drive at that time saying, Hey, we know you're working long hours. We know you should be making more money. Are you interested in learning how to fix this? And I was like, talk to my wife. So they talked to my wife and I go back to work and then she comes back and says, next weekend, we're going to go up to Denver for a training class on how to run the business, the, the being an owner of the business. The business side of business. The business side of it. Yeah. yeah. You're, you, you know, the mechanic side, let's learn the business side. So we go up to this two day seminar and they're teaching this stuff to us and everything else. And I'm sitting there and the speaker just, he's like, I felt like he was drilling in on me. You have this going on in your shop. This is how things are in your shop. This is what you need to do to fix it. And I'm sitting there going, wow, he's just talking to me. There's 50 other people in the room, but they, he, he's describing my shop to a T. Right. 
So I looked into it more. We signed up with drive and I'll tell you what, what a different change that was within six months. I had doubled my shop, hired more employees, and I was no longer even working on vehicles. I was just supervising everything. Yeah. It's amazing. Okay. So let's unpack that. And by the way, at the time it was called management success, right? Correct. When I, when I first encountered it, uh, when I was working in a shop, the owner had done some work with management, management success. I'd seen some of the materials and he was the materials that he had implemented had made a big difference. And it's just, it's not like it's crazy secret stuff. It's like basic blocking and tackling of like sound business principles, right? Catered towards like specific shop scenarios, I guess. Correct. It's a, it's a lot of policies and procedures and systems and organizing the business. This is how you sell. This is how you stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Tracking your, you know, actually paying attention to your numbers on a monthly basis instead of what's in the checking account at the end of the month. Um, It's a, it's a lot of that stuff, but you know, the biggest obstacle that is myself and I've seen other shop owners with now is sometimes it's just getting out of your own way to implement this stuff. Yeah. And a lot of it's stuff you may already know and you think you should do, but you tried it and it didn't work because maybe you didn't implement the right thing or maybe it's because you, you did it, but then you got busy and for, and quit doing it. What was like one of the, the top thing or top couple of things when you walked out of there that you knew you had to change? Cause sometimes it's like, it's, it's like boiling an ocean. You get a list so long cause they're speaking to you and the list is just so long. You can't, you can't tackle it all cause it's just too much. But what were like one of the first couple of things that you did to j- turn that shop around or to turn, turn the way you thought about uh, working on the shop? Well, after I, you know, went to that seminar, I walked, uh, walked away from there. And the first thing I realized was I was running my business off of my checking account, whatever was in the checking account, it didn't matter. And actually what happened was when we sat down there in that meeting, they sat down with a one-on-one business analysis and my wife did all the books and stuff for us. My thing was, is, is there money in the checking account at the end of the day? And did we get all the customers satisfied? And then we sat down in that meeting there and it's kind of funny because I sat down with the meeting right there and the guy sits down with me and he goes, we gave up a P&L of the shop at the current time and he looks it over and he goes, so you got a million dollar shop each year here. And it kind of hit me all at one time because, you know, I was doing all this work and everything and I seen what's in my checking account. There's no million dollars in the checking (laughs) account. But now I just realized I had a business that was producing a million dollars a year. You never realized that before. You know, I knew we had gross sales by the month and everything, but I never really took the time to slow down and think that I've got a million dollar operation sitting here in its current form. And did they, did they talk to you about how to value a shop? Like based on gross revenues, like some kind of multiple yeah, is it EBITDA or something like that. Yeah. They talked about some of the multipliers and stuff, but the main thing they asked me is what are your goals? What do you want to do at that point in time? I said, I want to have multiple locations. I don't want to have to be the mechanic, the service writer. I want to be the business guy. Right. And of course, you know, he goes, so what are you going to do to do that? And I says, at that point in time, I was like, well, I just got to keep working. That was my only solution was just keep working and building on it. Right. Let me guess. No clear path. 
<laughs> what are your goals? And then it's usually, how are you going to do it? Right. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to go? So correct. How are you going to do it? What yeah. solutions do you have? Mm-hmm. And of course they were presenting me solutions that they could help me with. And a lot of them made sense, but I'll, I'll tell you the, the aha moment was when the gentleman sits there and, you know, I'm going back and forth with him. We're talking about different things. And he goes, I just want to set this aside, David. He says, you're a unique, he even told me you're unique the way you're thinking right now. And he goes, I want to ask you a question. You flew up here from Albuquerque to Denver, right? And I says, yeah, I did. And he goes, when you got on the plane, what, what airline did you fly? I says Southwest. And he says, okay, when you got on the plane, what was your boarding position? I says, I don't know. It's it probably something like B 50 or something like that. And he goes, okay. He goes, now you've told me your goals are and everything. He goes, when you got on that plane, the first 15 people to board that plane, well, who were they? And I says, well, they're the business guys. So the guys flying around, they're the business guys. He goes, what are they wearing? And I says, they're in suits and ties and stuff like that. And he goes, why ain't you boarding that plane in the first 15? You've got a million dollar shop here. You should be boarding in that first 15. Hmm. And you're not thinking like a business owner. You're thinking like a mechanic. Okay. So he, wants, so, so he wanted you to blow a bunch of extra money on a ticket or maybe that's just the accountant in me. No, it, it was, here's our program and stuff like that. Now, my wife and I, we didn't just like sign on the line. We went, sat down, looked at all the information, researched everything. And we went back, they had a whole, whole program, help me organize the shop, help me train, help me hire people, help me get over this hump that I was trying to get over to that next level. And part of and it, it, and I, sorry, David, part of it is probably like, in order to be working on the business, not in it, you, you basically need to, take your toolbox home and show up the next day wearing different clothes, right? It, well, that's, that's kind of the easy way to say it, but it's not that easy as a shop owner and drive nose and manage success at that time knew that it's not that easy there. You don't just uh, have a business and that you're back there working all these crazy hours in the back on trucks and just roll your toolbox out and the next day. You're going to, it's going to run itself without you being the, the lead mechanic or anything. Mm-hmm. So what they did is they, they said, look, you, we got a coaching program. You sign up for it. You'll be assigned a coach and we're going to help you start implementing step-by-step ways to remove yourself as a mechanic, start being the manager of the business. And then we'll help you set up policies and procedures procedures and all the stuff that goes with it. And, you know, there was other pieces to it. It's like running the business off the numbers. Back then I checked what was in the checking account after I started working with um, the drive consultants and everything. It's funny. I was tracking at first five to seven KPIs for the shop. I was tracking what's my build hours. What's my gross sales. What's my gross income. What's my average RO stuff like that. And when I sold the shops, I was tracking over a hundred KPIs on a daily basis in the shop. I, I got so involved with tracking this. I knew how many times the phone rang every day mm. and I could tell you what business was going to look like tomorrow by how the phone rang today. Interesting. I imagine too, you know, I know that you were saying when you were drumming up business at, there's a certain point too, where, cause I, I, we talk to a lot of shop owners, we help them and sometimes they stand up shop and then business will come or they know a couple of folks and the end, you know, it starts to, the the reputation carries them and they're sometimes it ends up being hand to mouth, but I imagine there's a structure in there because I've uh, a lot of folks that are successful like yourself, 
start looking at fleets or private fleets, even whether it's the large commercial, like you were referencing, you know, from, from the competition where you, you kind of, you, you kind of stumbled into that, but then also strategically going out and saying, Hey, owning those PMs and those oil changes actually can build the business for your shop. Did you ever really hone in on fleets and, and, uh, start to go yeah. after uh, regions and yeah, early on um, in, in my shop, that's one of the things we focused on little local fleets that had two or three trucks. And it usually we, we, at first we stayed away from the big fleets mm -hmm. because I couldn't handle the, the amount of work they would send to me was one reason, but two, um, the smaller fleets, they're not catered to by the dealerships. They're not catered to by anybody else. So they're like the, the prime candidate to go get business. Yeah. It's two or three trucks, but if you get 10, 15 of those little fleets, with two or three trucks, they or five trucks or ten trucks, they become very loyal customers, and that's a, that's a good place to start building your your backbone on that. But even in my shop, another thing, and you know, I phased away from it, and then after I met Drive, I went back to this thing. When I first opened my shop, there was one thing you can guarantee: I had business cards on me all the time. And it didn't matter if I was in a restaurant, if I was out shopping and ran across somebody and it's somebody I knew for 20 years, I was always promoting, hey, I opened up a shop. If you need anything, here's my card, here's yeah. my number. And once you start getting business in your door, you start backing off of doing that. And it was probably one of the most successful marketing campaigns that I did for my shop, just word of mouth and, and presenting yourself every opportunity you had. Right, because you kind of get to... Um it's tempting to, you kind of get to a level where you kind of back off and maybe plateau as a business owner. You, you start to relax, like, okay, I've got enough work coming in and you stop hustling, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't hustle anymore because you got the work coming in and you're now focused on trying to just get that work out. But once you get that work out, what's coming in the next day? And then you're, then you may focus on that, make a few phone calls, get some work in, then the work comes in, you focus getting that work out. So it's kind of a vicious cycle. We, we call it the boom and bust cycles. And this is where the owner mm -hmm. goes up front and sells a bunch and then stops selling and goes to the back and works on the vehicles a lot. And right. then, Oh, there's no work. Let's run back up to the front and sell more. It's a cycle. That, and it's hard to break that cycle when you get into it. Yeah, we've even seen where some folks uh, will turn, like you say, um, I'm good. Uh, you know, the house is getting paid for the businesses. I've got the boat, whatever the money I need. And they're not planning. They stop, like you say, they stop selling. They're not planning. And then their customer goes under or the the new kid comes into town or pulls out of the dealership. We, you've got a brand new Dave, uh, David Celine on the scene who picks off the number one customer. And then you're like, whoa, wait a minute. And, and kind of to your point, they go back to selling. If you're always selling and building your business, you're building, your business can grow. And, and I always, it's fascinating where some people just say, no, I'm good. It's enough. And then you catch up with them a year or so later and they're like, I wish I never would have said it was enough. I should have kept going. Right. Yeah. But you know, it was in, it was one of those things that drive taught me early on. And I think it was in their first seminar I went into and they, the first comment they made, there was a, a couple of comments they made that really stuck with me and it has to do with selling. And the first one is, is that if you, if you're not growing at some day, you will cease to exist. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you've always got to be growing. It doesn't mean you have to expand into build your buildings or add more property or anything, but you've always got to be growing your business in some shape or form in order to continue to be there year after year after year. 
It's interesting too. We were, we were talking to somebody, I said, Hey, we're going into strategic planning. We've got to put together budgets and stuff and goals for next year. And, um, I said, do you do that at your shop? And they said, no, we're too small. And I said, well, how many techs are you? Oh, we got 10. Well, why aren't you thinking about next year? Why aren't you thinking about 2021? Shouldn't you think about, you know, where do you want to be in Q1, Q2? Um, what are your aspirations? Oh, I, I won't want to do these things, but we'll see how that plays out. And it's kind of interesting where not everybody realizes it don't matter if you're a two man shop or a five person shop there, you can set goals. And if you set goals, you can achieve them. Correct. It's one of those things. And that's one of the things I know strive focused the most on is what are your goals and what are you doing to achieve them? And that goes back to the planning and a lot of shop owners, just like you said, somebody that says I'm too small to do planning, planning is something every shop should be doing. Um, rather if you're a one man operation or a 50 man operation, when it comes to this time of the year, right now, when I had my shops every at this point of the year, this net, this month, the whole month of December was looking at what happened this year and how am I going to expand onto it next year? And what actions do I have to do to do that? Yep. How many sales do I have to have per day? How many new customers do I have to get? How many employees will I have to do to reach this new goal? And it starts with making a plan and then breaking that overall huge plan, whatever that number is or whatever that is that you're trying to achieve and breaking it into small actionable steps that you can take day by day, month by month to achieve it. Yeah, that makes sense. So David, how do you, how do you go from, so you start the shop, uh, you start getting involved with drive, they show you how to run it and basically kind of package it with a bow on top. So when the time comes, you can, when you get an offer, you can sell it and you, you didn't have to be like a part of the deal, right? You didn't have to come with the shop in order to run it, right? right? The so shop exists independent of you. There's a couple of things, like I said, drive, helped me organize, put all the systems in. And I basically worked myself out of a job. I hired employees. So first step was hire technicians that can do everything in the back where you don't have to turn wrenches. So I do that. Hire a service writer to sell the front. So you don't have to do that. So I did that. And then it got to a point where I was being the manager and it was now time to hire a manager. So you don't have to be here each day. So I did that. But then what's funny about it is, as you talk about my transition and how I started working for drive, it, it goes back to my wife again. For some reason, my wife has been that person that pressures me to do things that are very beneficial to me, I think. But um, I'm sitting upstairs in my office at the shop and I was, you know, there's everybody's, everything's going on. The service writers are working, the mechanics are working. I just, I could go in, spend an hour doing work on the shop and then I was done for the day, but I'm one of those guys that just can't go sit at home all day. And so I had to be involved with something. And then, so I'm upstairs and to occupy my time at that time, cause I was getting bored cause everything ran so smooth and I didn't, I wasn't needed for every thing that was going on. And I took up online poker and not saying that's the best thing to do or anything, but I took up online poker and I know my wife, you know, she was telling me, you need to quit doing that. You need to quit doing that. And then one day we had our uh, call with my business coach and my wife says, look, he's driving me nuts. He's always sitting now. He comes in does his work in about an hour. And then he sits on there and playing online poker wait, for the rest of the day. Wait, David, before you keep going, you're saying you got your shops running so well on their own that you spent your days playing online poker. Correct. 
<laughs> were you making was that a money making deal or was that just kind of like where all the profits it was, went I get, it wasn't it wasn't i wasn't losing money we'll put it that way but i was you know just entertaining myself and Jeez. it wasn't nothing losing money i, I wasn't making a, a a whole bunch of money out of it but i did win a seat to the world series and got to play in the world series of poker out in vegas off of it so wow. hey, sunglasses and everything yeah i had the sunglasses and everything on it that it was it was an interesting experience it was you know you you don't think about it but a repair shop can give you anything you want in the world if you get it set up and you're running it correctly Whatever yeah. it is, if you want to become a doctor, you want to go fly airplanes, you want to go race drag drag cars, you want to go play in poker tournaments, it can provide that for you as long as you set it up and do it right. Totally agree. I got two things for you. Crazy enough, last night I was watching the movie Rounders, so the poker thing is right, <laughs> right in line. Yeah, and then the other thing is, I think we just want to talk to your wife now, David. <laughs> we really know who's running the business at right, this point. Exactly. The brains of the operation is not on the call, right? <laughs> uh, I won't let her take all the credit for it. So. There you go. But she, she, she is a, uh, she's my rock. I'll put it that way. She's my rock. She's always pushed me. But you know, at that time, she tells my business consultant. And he's driving me nuts. He's just sitting there playing poker. And my business consultant says, Dave, what do you like doing? And I says, I like doing lots of things. I like helping people. Like, you know, I was very involved with the community too, because I I was sitting on, you know, many volunteer boards for the the county, the solid waste boards, the economic development board, the Chamber of Commerce, Rotary Club. I was involved, you know, I was finding new things to occupy my day with. But so my wife brought that up to my business coach and, you know, it was, didn't think much about it. And two days later, I got a call from um, somebody at Drive that says, why don't you come out? We have a workshop going. We'd like you to be a guest speaker at this workshop and kind of, you know, help other shop owners out. So I was like, okay. So I went out there to it. I was helping out, really enjoyed doing it. And by the end of that week that I was out there, I I'm sitting in front of the owner and the executive staff and they're saying, how would you like to come work with us and go out and help other shop owners across the nation? And I was like, Hey, this sounds fun. So I signed up for that. And, you know, it kind of, yeah, I had the shops the whole time. They were running on their own. I'm traveling across the country doing talks at, you know, trade shows and events and helping other shop owners out. I mean, I even got to, um, you know, they have the Napa expos every year, uh, 20,000 people show up to it. And I found myself in a short time sitting on a stage in front of hundreds of people out there in a crowd talking about, you know, how do you market your shop properly? And it was just, it just become a passion of mine to go help, help other people in the industry. That's awesome. Definitely. And you got the, and you sold the business too. Yeah. So, you know, that's a whole different story, but it, it's kind of funny. Um, the shop's running on there. I don't have to be there. Managers are in place. And in 2000, at beginning of 2019, um, I come in, get my daily reports one day from the shop because way it all set up the bookkeeper, the manager, the service writers, they had weekly and daily reports. They'd all bundle up into a packet. So I come in to get my packet of reports to see how the shop's doing, visit with everybody, make sure everything's going, make sure they don't need anything. And the manager handed me over a business card and said, this real estate guy came by yesterday and wants you to give him a call. Hmm. Okay. So I gave the guy a call and he says, what do you want for the business? And I was, I says, no, I haven't even thought about selling it. I'm making good money with it. I haven't even <laughs> thought about this. And, um, 
so I sat down and my wife and we sat down counting booking book uh, brokers and everything else and started figuring it out. And a couple of weeks later, I think three, four weeks later, we shot him back a price of what we wanted for the shop and then didn't hear anything again. So I was just like, okay, we'll go life on normal. They didn't want to pay my price. That's okay. Um, come July, he walks back into the shop and says, here's the offer I got. And it was about 85% of what we asked for. And um, he says, we don't want the business itself. We don't want the equipment, the tools or anything like that. We just want the property. Holy cow. They want the dirt. <laughs> they wanted the dirt. So, um, you know, I, I had to sit and think long and hard about it. But I was at that time, I was working full time with Drive Now, too. And um, my wife and I sit and talk about it. And we went back to a different training seminar we went to with a business broker years back. And the broker was talking about shop owners that... Um, uh, business owners who so just wasn't shop owners, business owners that uh, talking about the 2008 recession or whatever you want to call it crash that we had. And they had said there's businesses worth millions of dollars and the uh, people had offers on them. And then they wouldn't take that offer because they didn't know what else they wanted to do or weren't ready to let it go or different reasons. And then the crash happened and those businesses became worth nothing. And the owners had to hold on to them and work them for another 10, 15 years before they became worth something what they could sell. And that always stuck with me. And I'm sitting here going, I got this offer here. It's really good. And I should take it because I still have the option if I want to reopen or do anything like that. And this process of selling the business didn't happen like overnight because once we made the decision, it still took many, many months. I mean, I went out and made sure every one of my technicians got placed in another job from other shop owners that I knew. And matter of fact, the whole crew of three of them got placed, uh, three technicians that worked together. I placed them for the same wages and everything into another business. Um, and so they were still, you know, I took care of the employees. I made sure all my customers knew where to go. We, we did, a there was a lot of planning in that part right there. You know, if I, if you don't mind, David, and congrats on selling the, 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 uh, the biz the, or the property, the, the, the business. Um, I, cause you know, when, uh, back in the days of Shamrock, when we were looking for property, sometimes it didn't matter what was on, what was on it. We just wanted the dirt. So I could totally relate to somebody <laughs> wanting the dirt. Um, but you know, one of the things when you were talking about the KPIs on the business and, and like how you, it was really fine tuned that positioned it for a sale. Um, and it allowed you to have the time to, to do, uh, other things, um, you know, one of the things I hear a lot of shops struggle with is how do they like, what is the standard for like a technician Do technicians? Are they supposed to always produce a hundred percent efficiency? And, um, how did you manage that? Like, what was your gold standard to get techs to a hundred percent? Did you overachieve a hundred percent? What's your thoughts on that whole efficiency metric? See on the efficiency, we, we always expected a hundred percent. Now I ain't going to say my shop was always a hundred percent, but we wanted a hundred percent. That was the, the minimum target. But when we set up the right bonus programs and the right pay plans and made sure we had all of our marketing actions where enough work was there on the average, my technicians, you know, they were doing on a 40 hour work week, they were doing 55, 60 hours plus a week. 
um, when we were doing. So they were, you know, 125 to 150% efficient. And so it's nothing to, that can't be achieved. Now I've heard everybody say, well, my technicians aren't that talented or they're not the ATEX. You had ATEX. That wasn't just my ATEX. I had a BTEC that was kind of an R&R kind of guy. He, he did some diagnostics, not a lot, but he was billing 60 hours a week. It's just how you run your workflow in your shop and how you uh, give the right jobs to the right people. And the other thing I can say too is the number one thing I see that shop owners do that hurts their production is they don't charge for everything their technicians do. Yeah, we, we see that a lot. And then and we all, what we also see is that they'll say, my, my techs are 100% efficient. And then I find out their techs are standing around because they don't have work. And I think there's one thing that you use, you know, you, you covered it, but people on this podcast might have missed it is you had strong marketing and made sure that shop was busy because one thing that they miss out on is, well, my techs are 100%. But then they're standing around, right? Like Maybe so, 50% utilized. They're, they're, yeah, the utilization equation. Like some people get so fixated on the efficiency, they forget about the utilization. If if I produce, you know, 40 hours, but I stood, you know, 40, around, 40 hours of billable time and I did it in 30 hours, I still stood around for 20 more hours in your building, right? Or, or more. You got to right. keep me full of work in order for me to start achieving 50, 60 hours. Um, did you, how, how did you manage it? Cause a lot of people, like, it's like a new idea, this utilization concept, they, they're just fixated from, you know, dealerships or wherever that it's all efficiency. Just getting to 40 build hours. Yeah. The the end. Yeah, it's, it's or not, not, yeah. You're exactly right. You, you got to, if you set up the right pay plans and stuff for your technicians, cause they want to make more money too. So yeah, if you set yeah. it up they'll and give it where there's no cap, they'll run for it and go for it. And like I said, it's not always that way. Not all technicians are driven by money, but you're talking about making sure you have enough work in there. That was the, that was my job as the owner and later become my manager's job because we trained them up on it. Mm-hmm. But marketing. That was my job. Uh, My job wasn't working on the vehicles. My job wasn't selling the work. My job was to make sure that shop always had work in it. And when you talk in the marketing, it's not just, um, you know, you gotta have your website, your social media, you gotta go out and get your out. uh, At first I did outside sales. We hired an outside salesperson that would go around and visit with the fleets and get that work in. It's a combination of everything on there and it's a full-time job to do marketing. So if you're, if you're just doing a little bit of marketing here and there thinking that's enough to keep my shop going, it's not enough. And it's also the amount of investment you put back into your marketing. We were spending about 8% of our total gross sales on marketing year round. Yeah. You know, what's interesting too, is the, I often will ask, um, do your service writers write service orders or do they sell? And most, most answer, most of the time I get the answer, well, no, my service writers just write, write orders. And I said, well, who makes sure you've got 20 private fleets. They all have, you know, you're managing, you know, 500 pieces of equipment. Who's calling them, alerting them, or making sure those PMs are getting done. And then they, and they came back in or you wrote, you know, 20 estimates last week. Who made sure that the estimates got filled by your shop and not a shop down the road? And, you know, like there's just there's all these things that a, a service writer can do that's kind of like selling or, or, or marketing to, to, to the way that, you know, a form of marketing where 
you're going out there and making sure that the quotes that you put together or the work that you committed to perform actually comes in. And you're like pulling that work in. It's someone recently said to me, it's like a chain. If you have a chain, uh, what do you think is more effective, pushing the chain or pulling the chain? And it's, this is the same kind of concept with this business. If you, you got to pull business into your shop, you don't push it into your shop. Um, but anyway, yeah. There's, there's a lot to that, which you just said there, when you think about it, you know, the, the service advisors are a very big key role of getting that work into the shop. The shop owner's job, as far as doing the marketing actions, making sure that the promos and the messages and the emails and the texts and all that stuff are going out is there. And a lot of that's controlled by the service advisors too. But we always had a rule in our shop with our, and our service advisors bonuses were set up on this too. If the guys were standing around in the back with no work in front of them, it would affect the service advisors bonuses at the end of the month. Mm, yeah. And that's one thing we, <laughs> made, we implemented to help with that. But we had a rule in our shop. If the phones aren't ringing, it's the service jo- writer's job to go out and make them ring. So yeah, our okay. service writers had all of their daily functions that they had to do. And then each week they had a quota of, uh, what we call cold calls. So customers that have never been to our shop before, they had a quota of, um, I think at, at that time, it was about 50 cold calls a week. We put it down to about 10 a day that they had to do for customers that we've never seen in our shop or never had looking them up on Fleet Seek or looking them up on the internet or anything like that. And they had to make 50 cold calls a week to try to get new customers in. Holy cow. I've never I- heard of that being done at a shop before. Yeah, this is next level. Well, I knew there was something in there, David, like just doing some research, there's something in the recipe. And when you were saying the metrics, you, you're running it like a true business at that point. And I, I, I love the fact that you keyed in on those service riders actually having more capacity than just taking orders. Cause if they just take orders, your business is doomed. And I love what you just recapped right there. Yeah. Our service advisors, we did a lot of training now. We, we sent them through a lot of service writing training through drive and everything like that, but we had a lot of policies and procedures into it. And one of the things, like I said, the 50 cold calls per week, they had to, um, they had a list and it couldn't go, every customer had to have a contact so many times a year in our customer database. So if we haven't seen a customer in three months or six months or something like that, there was a series of phone calls that got made to those customers, but it also goes back to customer service too. Um, you don't hear many people doing this and and I shocked so many fleets with our shop by doing this, uh, over the road truck comes into the shop. They're broke down on the side of the road. They get towed in and we fix the truck for them. But, you know, our service writer's job was not just selling or writing service. It was also customer service, too. So they would have these conversations with the driver or the fleet manager when they're on the phone, you know, you and they made special notes in our RO systems about it. Well, this truck was on its way to California. It broke down. They had two days to get the load done. That was just some simple notes that was put on it. We get the truck done. We'll get it back on the road. Well, they would call the fleet owner or the driver or anything else, whoever's the contact on that RO, a day later or a day and a half later, um, depending on what what they learned about that driver, 
And the conversation would go something like this. Now, Jacob, if you're in my shop and you, I knew that you had to have, have that uh, load delivered to California in two days, I would call you back in about two days and say, hey, Jacob, it's David from Second to None. Um, we're just kind of curious on a few things. How's the truck running? Did you make it on time to get that load done? We just want to make sure everything's good. Love it. I love it. And it would blow people's mind. Nobody does that. And it's a customer service aspect that we've got to get in our industry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, David, I have so many questions for you. I know we're (laughs) short on time. Um, First of all, what did they put on the land your shop was on? Actually, they, it wasn't the land they were looking for. It's kind of funny. Um, the, my shops, just to give you uh, an idea too, I'm in a small farming town. My shop set five miles outside of town on a, on a state highway, five miles off the interstate too. What? And it's set between a bunch of farm fields. That's all those around me was farm fields. Okay. And I'm super confused. what happened was, going, was a, yeah. big comp- a big company came in and leased and um, bought up a lot of those farms and they planted hemp crops in there. Okay. And my building and my property was right in the center of all this and they needed it to process their crops and they ran out of time because they couldn't build their own building on another piece of land or anything. Yeah. Okay. I've heard some of these. Yeah. You right recipe, but still, I mean, like you, I, based on everything I've, I've heard from you today or just the, you know, just the research that I've done you had a well-run business that could have been sold as a business. Right. It just happened to be sold in this, in this particular manner. Yeah. David, why not move the shop somewhere else? You know, at that point in time, um, at that point when we sold last year, I was um, now working for drive. I'm a vice a vice president there at drive. Um, I had all that going for me. I really enjoyed helping other shop owners and stuff like that. Um, we have the options to reopen it here in the future. Um, my son may be um, going down that path here soon, and we may be reopening it under him. It's just um, at the time, I the offer was great. It was three quarters of what I asked for the total business as a package just for the property. And, um, and you keep the option to reopen. Yeah, I keep the option to reopen. And it's one of those, like I said, not everything's about money right now for me. You know, I'm, I'm pretty well set up. I got retirement and everything set up. And now I'm just going to go do something I'm very passionate about. And that's helping others. Okay. All right. Well, I, I guess I can accept that, David. <laughs> I, I might do, I might need your help too, David. I got a I got a seventy K five blazer that it's under the <laughs> knife, and I got a seventy K twenty truck. So I, I've got my hands full over here, and I'm too busy. So we might have to work something out. I need some paint we, and body we can work. Find a Phoenix location for you, <laughs> David. You, you know what's funny about that right now uh, is it's different when you ask that. Why didn't I go reopen right now? I have the option to. But I'm, you know, I'm working and doing what I'm doing. I'm passionate about getting to help the other shop owners out there in the world. Um, but on my off time, now I'm sitting in, in my house. I have a 30 by 40 workshop behind my house right now. And it's got a 52 Ford F1 sitting in it that I've nice. um, rebuilding from the ground up. Nice. See, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob and David, uh, one, one of the other co-founders at Full Bay, uh, uh, basically asked me what I would like to do. And you just described it right there. I li- like You're living Chris's dream. David, yeah, you're living right my dream right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have cars, but I don't have that space. And we'll get you a garage, Chris. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, uh, David, how did you guys compensate your tech? So 
they obviously weren't flat rate unless you were calculating their efficiency some other way or were, were they flat rate? How'd you guys do that? No, our techs were paid on a unique pay plan and kind of to describe it to you, um, there was different levels if you're A, B or C tech that you would have a guaranteed base pay for the hours you worked on the clock. So to give you an example, let's just take a B tech, say they were in the 20 to $25 an hour range. So they had that. And then what happened on it was, is that they would get, if that was what they were guaranteed. And then it was, there was a flat rate system in there and they had the flat rate hour, but it was on a scale. So if you build 40 hours, you were basically guaranteed your $25 per 40 hours. If you were under that, I always took it as that was my problem. If you didn't bill 40 hours in a week, cause there wasn't enough work in here, I'm going to guarantee you your 40 weeks. Cause that's my job to keep the work in here for you. So you're assuming they're going to be, they got a bare minimum, uh, capability of hundred percent efficiency. Correct. So then what would happen is that why, how I got my B-level text to produce so much is so if they hit 45 hours in a week, they would get basically $26, $27 per flat rate hour. If they hit 50 hours, it would go up to $30 an hour. If you got up over 60 to 70 hours, it just gradually went up and there was no cap on it. Was that retroactive? So, like all 50 hours would be at for the that new week rate? for that pay period? Yeah. Yes. Okay with no cap. So yeah, there was no cap on it. Now that you have to be careful because one of the things we had to do to monitor this real quick, my service writers and managers, if you had a 40 hour job that they started halfway through, they could only, they would collect half of it one pay period and half of it the next pay period. So they couldn't clock all 40 on the first day of their, because yeah. they closed out on the first day of their new pay period. Right. Yeah. Like an engine overhaul or an in-frame, you're going to go, you're going to go the distance. It's going to stretch, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is it was no cap. So when a, when a tech got to billing 60, 65 hours, basically they were working from 35 to $40 a flat rate hour at that point in time. But oh, go ahead, David. they were, and they were guaranteed their base pay that if they didn't make 40 hours in a week, they would at least get paid for 40 hours at that minimum rate. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of shop owners would say, would push back on is I can't even get them to 40. What would your response be to well, that? Well, the, the, the response I got in is look at your pay plans and make sure they're incentivized. And I'm going to cover, I'll, I'll go into a whole subject on that. The second piece of that is, is if you can't get your text to 40 hours is what's your systems, your policy, your workflow. Um, you could have your shop set up to prevent them from doing that because you don't have it. You know, how long do they wait on parts? How long do they wait for authorization when they're waiting for parts or authorization? Do they have another job that they can be working on? So, you know, my technicians will get nervous if usually we assign three to four jobs at a time to them. And if their RO rack was under three jobs in the queue, they started getting nervous thinking we're getting too slow. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. But it, you know, but it also goes back to the bonus and pay plans. Now my guys were all, a lot of them were just money driven guys. So they wanted to make money. So that was a great bonus for them. The coin but I've, there's also technicians, and I, I usually, I'm not trying to classify anybody, but this is your older technicians. They have a lot of experience to it, but they've paid off their house. They don't have any kids at home. They've got all the toys that they want. So money's not their main driver. So sometimes you may have to change your bonus plans to is if you hit 40 hours by Thursday when we go home, you can have Friday off. 
There you go. For like that. Yeah. For an old timer. I could see that. that somebody wanting a three day weekend. I'll give you all 40. I'll just, I'll work hard and sprint Monday through Thursday for that three day weekend. Yeah. So there's different things. And I, you know, we did different games throughout the shop. One of the best games we ever played in our shop and we got the whole team on it was I came in and I says, this is early summer. I came in and says, look, we're going to do a game. It's June, July, and August. By August 30th, if we hit these sales goals, these build hours, all the set all the benchmarks out for them, here's the deal. We're going to close down for Labor Day weekend. We'll shut the shops completely down. We're going to go to the lake. All you have to do is show up with something to sleep in at the lake. I'm going to cook. I'll supply boats. I'll have boats there. I'll have jet skis there. I'll supply all the food, the drink, and everything else. You can bring your family with you and everything like that. Um, we implemented that. The team started working together. And what was funny about it, we initiated that game. And I think it was the first week of August. They hit every one of those numbers we went expected them to hit. And they nice. still had three weeks to go. Nice. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Love it. And it's those kind of games where they're not competing against each other. They're all competing together, together. toward of like a goal. Yeah. Like a team goal, basically. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did a lot. And in, in order to get a shop that runs efficient and everything else, it, you, it's your team. You have to have them working as a team and teamwork. We even had a weekly bonus that we did for employee of the week. And it was a, it could be anywhere from a 25 to a $50 gift card to a restaurant, to Amazon card, whatever. It was always some kind of gift card like that. And every Friday morning we had a team meeting and the whole team, tech, service writers, office people and everything and we come together have our team meeting at the end of that team meeting every person on the team casted a vote um, for who they thought was employee of the week and they couldn't vote for themselves and the thing was is we always based it on who's helped you make your job easier this week Nice. So now you think about it and it's a very simple game, but when you have four technicians in the back or three technicians in the back and one guy's, Hey, can I get some help? Oh, just a minute. I'll, when I get to you, I'm busy right now, or they're not really enthusiastic to go help, but now they got this employee game where somebody says, Hey, can you give me a hand real quick? They're over there. They get it done real quick. And then they're back to work. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Love the teamwork. Love the teamwork. Yeah. Well, David, uh, kind of coming to a close here, and I think we should have you on again because you have so much great stuff to say that shop owners would love to hear. Um, I, I guess what would your, um, I guess your parting advice for the average shop owner there who's maybe struggling to get to the 40 or getting their techs more efficient and is, uh, you know, it, during this COVID era, we know revenue per shop is down. And uh, some, depending on the part of the country, they're really struggling. What would you tell, I guess, just your your average independent shop owner, former technician, trying to trying to make it work through COVID? What would your advice be to them today? Well, you know, the the best piece of advice I can give everybody is you you know what you know, and you you um, don't know what you don't know. And when it comes to running a business, you may be the best technician or the best mechanical mind on here, but don't be afraid to reach out for help. There is help. And like I said, one thing you can do is I, you know, I'm very passionate working with Drive right now. They have a shop business analysis that you can sign up for. You can go to driveshops.com and get the information on it, but they'll help analyze your business, tell you what you need to do. And there's, there's, don't be afraid to ask for help from either your 
people in the industry, coaching companies, peers, uh, get training, always train your staff, continue training yourself and don't settle. Don't, don't walk into your shop and say, this is just the way it's going to be. It's how the economy is. It's how the year, it's the pandemic. Don't make excuses. If you don't like the way your shop's running right now, go out and get help. There's so much help out there in training and, and coaching and software, just same as you guys over at Full Bay. There's so much software you guys got that can help them make sure you're utilizing all this stuff don't be afraid to ask for help it's not a sign of weakness it's just a it's to me it's a sign of smarts and intelligence that when you don't know something you just ask somebody that does and get their help yeah okay david Celine, vice president of sales at drive right david that's your title yes former shop owner award-winning technician a gentleman Gonna help Chris with his trucks. <laughs> and uh, the husband of an awesome wife. Yeah. Sounds like. David, thanks so much for your time joining us and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Anytime. And like I said, everybody out there, I, I hope at some point in time I get to see you at a conference, I get to see you at a trade show or something. Come up and talk to me. If you know I'm around and anything, come up and talk to me. I enjoy talking to other shop owners, helping other shop owners. That's just what I do now. Awesome. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diesel Stories Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and check out dieselstories.com for more episodes.